Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And, as we've just discovered off air, the king of branding. (laughs) very occasionally it just comes to you you know you have that lightning bolt moment yeah lightning bolt very very fitting as well pj you're on a roll today (laughs) given the story the story matter um but yeah no i mean uh uh, we we we've been debating on air and off air exactly what to do when we kind of wrap up the main morrison run and pj with this kind of effortless stroke of genius has has hit upon the the exact sub brand we're going to apply the moment the moment the series finishes. Uh, PJ, would you do the honors? Yeah, get ready, folks, because when we finish the main series, you're going to be getting the Morrison mop up. <laughs> this <laughs> future me will edit in like an air horn or something at that point. So, so I'm just putting a pin in it there. Um, but yeah, because we we've got like, uh, and of course we should probably say like massive thank you to Chris for Monica Murphy who's been keeping us kind of abreast of all these weird little pieces of Morrison ephemera where like to be fair it's a very it's a very particular Venn diagram yeah (laughs) we're drawing here it's got to be written by Morrison and it's got to feature the JLA well there's 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 we're, we're sort of going on the theory that we'll do the Morrison penned JLA stuff but then we'll also mop up the other JLA stuff Morrison didn't write that but that did come out during their run mm-hmm like um, World Without Grown-Ups? World Without Grown-Ups, uh, JLA Titans, The Technus Imperative, you get Foreign Bodies, Primeval, and Superpower are all in there as well, which I think were prestige format one-shots. So, uh, yeah, there's a fair bit. We're, gonna, we're definitely going to need a list. Ooh, I love a list. And also, I mean, the World Without Grown-Ups one is particularly weird because as we discovered when we did our wizard specials, yeah. Uh apparently it was originally originally going to be an idea that well it was it was a Morrison idea apparently if that interview is to be believed it was entirely a concept that Morrison was going to write. I'll need to double check my trade again because I've, I've got the world without grown-ups trade that came out around this time and I don't believe Morrison's name is even mentioned anywhere in it like not even as a idea by or thanks to because the whole thing is is just written by Todd Dizago I believe. And mm. I think he's the only credited writer anywhere near it. Yeah, so weird. It's like, I can assume there were just editorial decisions going on and, mm. you know, Morrison was probably too big. Or maybe Morrison, you know, had already finished their run on the series and was off to 
other things, you know, they were being courted by Marvel for new X-Men or so. And it was just one of those concepts that was lingering and I don't know, maybe there's no particular attachment to it. So they, they brought someone else in. I mean, it it came out, it would have been around the same time as the beginning of the Justice for All trade, I think. Um, so oh, I don't so know. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But whatever the case, Morrison didn't write it. <laughs> mm. Maybe it was maybe like just one million just kind of took its toll. Could well be. And, you know, I think that's also just the thing about working for one of the big two. Sometimes you've got to let your babies go and you can have an idea. They'll go, yeah, we're going to do it. And then you don't have time to write it. So they go, well, then someone else is writing it. Sucks to be you. Well, it's funny as well, isn't it? Because particularly when you think about the years in which these stories were coming out, and I I keep thinking back to um, that one uh, feature in the Wizard special, the Wizard special that I ended up looking at, <laughs> which was like a, a day in the life of um, a DC editor. Yeah. And, and of course, you, you forget that, like, email barely existed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all um, facts. Or, you know, they're FedExing co- pages of comic artwork around the country. So, yeah. you know, I like to believe, you know, you think back to like, um, you know, the Marvel, uh, was it Bullpen or whatever. You like to think that all these big names in comics are all just hanging out in the same building and chatting and getting coffee together. But no, I mean, like they're scattered, they're scattered to the winds. Like, you can't, I like to imagine that Mark Wade and Morrison were just, you know hanging out at the water cooler, trading <laughs> ideas. But, I mean, no, I mean, based on that article alone, apparently the editor couldn't even get hold of Morrison most days. Think about how many titles Marvel and DC were putting out in the 90s as well. Like, some heroes alone, like Batman, Superman and Spider-Man, had like four books each at least a month. Hmm. Think about how many pages were arriving via FedEx at the main office every month. Just one of those goes missing and you've screwed an entire issue. Oh yeah, God! Can you imagine? I mean, like you've you've ruined the editor's day. I mean, you've certainly ruined the artist's day because you could potentially be talking about having to redraw like a whole page. Mm. It's kind of astonishing, actually, that comics ever get made at all. <laughs> yeah, I like, bet there are some stories from those times of of when they've had to suddenly rush a new issue out or something. Yeah, I just. It's kind of staggering, isn't it? Like, it's a crazy industry we find ourselves in because even, you know, I, I, as evidenced by the fact we're even doing this podcast, I have a powerful nostalgia for the 90s. Yeah. Even the bad, you know. Like, you know, when you could pick up, like, I remember picking up, like, a random issue, a floppy of, um, was it Sleepwalker? Yep. Yeah, like, Sleepwalker. You know, and you think to yourself, now that's a Marvel superhero. That's not really stood the test of time. And yet a whole creative team had to assemble to put together this 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 comic, which, you know, it's got 22 works of art in it. You know, just to be this completely disposable thing that kind of gets forgotten about. And then some weird British kid finds it in a secondhand shop in the UK. It's <laughs> it's It's bizarre, really. It's also amazing to me that the early 90s, you had Marvel UK putting out original titles. I think the only one of those anyone remembers is Death's Head 2 these days. But they had loads of things like Mistech and Shadow Riders and all these books coming out of Marvel UK. 
none of which stood the test of time. And again, you'll have whole teams will have put so much work into them. And it's only people like me who can name two or three of them at best. <laughs> the 90s were crazy. So, yeah, and it's it's crazy, isn't it? Because obviously, like, you know, Marvel's a very good benchmark for this because their fortunes have wavered so much, even just from the 90s. Mm. And I can kind of see why the industry desperately needed to change in the 90s. But I, I, I just find it... It was an era where they were putting out a lot. Yes. And maybe, like, quality control wasn't quite what it could have been. But it you, certainly cr- created this illusion that you could just... There was an endless font of content, even if it wasn't all incredible, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you also had, of course, the collector boom hit, which they both courted, like Marvel doing so many covers to X-Men 1, everyone buying all the copies because they thought it would be valuable, and it's worthless today because there's so many of them out there. Which should perhaps be a warning to anybody dipping their toe into the fields of like NFTs or like cryptocurrency. Yeah. It's like this has happened before and it will happen again. And all the foil covers and, you know, I was a teenager. I got sucked in by that. If you put a shiny cover on something, I was like, I'm buying that. I'm buying that. That's going to be worth something in the future. None of them were. Not a one. PJ, I'm I'm kind of ashamed <laughs> to say like I'm <laughs> I'm having a I've I've fallen back into my old ways. I've uh, a friend of mine has gotten me into a very dangerous habit. I almost wish it were drugs. He's gotten me into uh, a new um, collectible card game. Uh oh. I know, I know. So I'm getting, I'm buying booster packs, PJ, the loot boxes of the day. And I drew a foil card the other day. And I have to say, it still felt good, even I'm... at the age of 35. Oh. Very. Very occasionally, the urge will get me to buy another pack of Magic the Gathering cards. It still happens sometimes. You're never quite fully out of it. So, yep, I totally get that. Well, I told myself I was above this sort of thing because um, <laughs> I spend a lot of time working with, with Nick, our, our mutual friend, Nick Angel, relatively nice guy. And um, he, doesn't have this, he doesn't have this filter. Like, he will, he will, if he sees a thing, he will just get it. Like, his I house have, is like a treasure trove of I've crap. noticed that on his Instagram, the amount of times he's like, I've bought this, and I'm like, whoa, how? Where did you I, find that? I know, and I normally live quite, I just live kind of vicariously through him. You yeah. know, I'm like, well, I'm happy that you're buying a thing. Anyway, so he got into this new this new card game, Flesh and Blood, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm My days, I'm past it now. Then he kind of suckered me in, and now literally tomorrow, like like a like an, a back alley drug deal, I am bringing a shiny foil card to a public meetup, so I can trade it with an, with another fully grown adult for a different <laughs> shiny card. We've been exchanging photos of said cards via Facebook Messenger. That's this is what I've become, Peach. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite excited about that card, though. <laughs> and and is it going to go in in a deck? Are you actually going to play with it, or is it just I'm to actually, look no? At? Here's the thing. I'm actually going to play. I, I, I'm quite proud of myself because I, I I I drew this card, which people tell me is relatively valuable, and I felt a little bad about turning it into cash. So I found someone who actually wanted it, and he's bringing me a card that I actually want. So 
We're keeping we're keeping the spirit of the game alive. I, I tell myself that's the best way to do it. Definitely. But speaking of meaningless collectibles, PJ, uh, the whole kind of like count endless number one variants that was kind of like was it Image where that really took off the founding of Image Comics? Uh, yeah, I think Image. I think com- combination of things: Image, X Men number one, um, and then just the rise of the independent comic shop is what mm. kicked that off. I think those three things combined, because X Men number one had four or five covers as well, didn't it? And then the Image books all had whatever the hell they had. I don't. <laughs> we, I, you know, it's like this one's made of sandpaper. Mm. Uh, this one's printed on vellum. That sort of thing, you know. Rob Leefield would like do a, a an intricate wood carving of every. People don't know this about Rob, Rob Leefield. Can't draw ankles, but is amazing at scrimshaw. <laughs> I didn't know that. No, you'll often see him with a pipe and a knife sitting on the harbour, just just whittling. <laughs> I wish that were true. Isn't isn't part of the thing that like wasn't it just this perfect score? I I could have got this completely wrong, but. Around that time, kind of mid nineties, wasn't there a very, very, very famous auction case? Uh, auction? I don't even call it exact. You know, a big auction house where it was something like it was either it was either like an action comics mm. or um, oh, was it Spider Man? Is it Tales of Astonish? Amazing Fantasy. Amazing Fantasy. Yeah, it was. It was. It was either like the first appearance of Spider Man or the first appearance of Superman, where a mint. It was like the first comic to be sold for a million dollars. Yes. Yeah. And it was kind of like this perfect storm where suddenly like the wider world was looking at comics because that was kind of newsworthy. And then you also had kind of like, you know, the image revolution and, you know, these these six big creators breaking away. And suddenly the speculator market began and it just so happens that, yeah, the world was watching and there were people willing to make kind of endless endless identical collectibles really yeah and you still get it occasionally as well like sometimes you'll a news story will come out because an action comics one or an amazing fantasy 15 or a detective comics 27 has sold and broken the record like every oh. every six or seven months i think you'll get a story about that and every time it appears in the newspaper my father-in-law will will cut that story <laughs> out of the newspaper and bring it over to our house and show it to me going look you like comics you might have some that are worth this and I'm like i really don't I'm <laughs> I've got a uh, issue one of a Hawkeye miniseries from '94, <laughs> I think. That could be the one. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Unlikely, but yeah. Do you remember yeah. when Wizard magazine every month in the back of the magazine they'd have like the prices of, oh of God, loads yes. of different comics, wouldn't they? Yeah, I now I vividly remember because I I didn't own many issues of Wizard. But one I did, and, and and I very much loved it. And it had, as as you say, it had like those endless pages at the back of the magazine, which was all just valuations. Yeah. Uh, but they kind of made it interesting by like every four pages, they'd have like a little, like a factoid or something. Yeah, about a particular comic that was going up or down in value that month. And then maybe some profiles of like the popular artists and things. Yeah, because the one I had... They they used that space to do a rundown of uh, 
uh, unfortunate patriotic characters. <laughs> so it was a complete rundown of every not Captain America or every Captain America adjacent character that yeah. there had been. Yeah. And I the reason I remember that so strongly is is around that time a a teenage John was drawing pictures of his own incredibly 90s superheroes called Dark Force. <laughs> of course they were called Dark Force. Is there a more 90s name than that? For Twisk PJ. And I hope you, I hope I hope you're sitting down. I I am. Is that they were the good guys? Wow, what a yeah. twist! It was a re- <laughs> to my teenage brain. This was like uh, Paradise Lost. It was like, <laughs> what if right? We had heroes who were dark and edgy and moved in the shadows. Oh, but, but they were actually like the good guys. And wow, you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. That's for Lost. That's for Lost John Locke story there. Dark Force. Let's let's hope it stays lost. I'll, I'll, I might I might dig it out at some point. I might, I might I might like commission an actual talented artist to draw. Anyway, so the reason oh, I don't waste it up money is, on that, <laughs> don't waste money on the paper. <laughs> uh, but no, the reason I bring it up is uh, because I couldn't really draw that well. I would uh, reference very heavily, and I remember there was one one of the characters I drew in in like just one of these pictures I drew was I just li- not quite traced but I basically just copied the pose absolutely perfectly of of one of these characters one of these unfortunate patriotic characters <laughs> because I was like okay I'm just going to yeah that's that's how that's how a woman stands that's how oh. a woman stands when she's on top of a rooftop yeah yeah and I'm like okay. I'm just going to I'm just going to draw that wasn't great no I can, I can imagine <laughs> Because it would have been a, a 90s comic book woman as well. So, ugh. I know, and I'm kind of picturing it now. And that's when you realize that, like, they look kind of like they've swallowed four pelvises. Like, they're just. <laughs> it's like you, you, you look at it and you go, oh, that's an, that anatomy is totally fine. And then you kind of look at it again and you're like, oh, wait, hang on a minute. No, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fair. Although I do remember that unfortunate patriotic heroes rundown introduced me to Jack Flag. Oh yeah, is that what he's called? He was I like think a, I think so. he turned turned up in a Captain America comic. I could be getting his name completely wrong, he, but he may have been. I could have got his name wrong, but he was he. Oh God, PJ, yes, it's coming back to me. He wore a grifter mask. Yeah, but it was a, but it was an American flag. Oh God, that's even so worse. He had an American flag grifter mask, and I kid you not, he carried a ghetto blaster, which fired like energy bolts. I can picture him, and I hate it <laughs> so much. It's glorious, Pete. Like it's awful, but it's <laughs> oh, it's like. This will. I hope it will come around again in a kind of like culture has digested it and we're ready to process it now. <laughs> I don't you know, think it, I don't think it will. There are some ideas that were just too radical for their time and and just never come back. I I I want to see kind of like you could make a a heavy metal 
at another heavy metal animated movie now, totally in that style, and people would get it. People I mean, would they, know. they pretty much tried, didn't they? What was it? What was it called on Netflix? The animated series Love and Robots or something? Oh yeah, that was a that was a bit, wasn't it? That was yeah. basically heavy metal, and I'm going to whisper it. It wasn't very good. I didn't watch it. I tried. I'll take, I'll take your word for it. I tried, and I gave up. But you, you know what I mean, though. You could yeah. make a. What about like um, heavy metal, as in like a genre, as a musical genre, like album covers. Mm. Like it is a. It's an aesthetic which is so. De- utterly itself that you could recreate it and if, and everyone would know exactly what you were doing. Yeah. I want to see that for 90s superhero comics. <laughs> I want to see guys with a tiny head and muscles and like like short like neck muscles like as wide as a as a as a, as a Volkswagen Beetle. You know what I mean? I want yep. everyone to look like strong guy from X Factor. <laughs> With tiny little legs. With tiny legs. I feel, is the world not ready for it, PJ? This is what I'm wondering. I will be honest. I am sad that in modern day Marvel comics, they've kind of toned Strong Guy down and he's a bit more in proportion now. And I don't like it. Give me the ridiculous. Well, surely like that would work all the better nowadays. Because if everyone else is being drawn with more realistic proportions, you just keep him as the crazy one. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. <laughs> Surely, I, I I I feel one day, PJ. Maybe I'll be on my deathbed. I'll be like, I'll be ninety eight because I'm going to live a long time, <laughs> and, and 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 I'll finally I'll get the validation I've wanted. Someone will come and tell me we're finally ready to appreciate this beautiful art form. <laughs> I mean, the character's name was Strong Guy as well. That's one of the lamest superhero names ever, and it's bloody brilliant. Uh, let's be. Let's be charitable and say it was postmodern. No, no, I don't think it was. It was just <laughs> stupid, but it's great. Isn't that now? This is where I know I'm an ignoramus because isn't like uh, saying something postmodern? Isn't that, I don't know what that means, but that's like a defence, isn't it? You can say that to anything. Uh, yeah, I think there are things that are written to be postmodern, uh, like uh, Scream. There you go. That's a good example. The first Scream film because it's referencing itself and riffing on the genre and it's very self-aware there are other things that sort of accidentally do that and are terrible and then someone comes out and goes oh no no but it's postmodern." and then you go no it's not it's just crap <laughs> i feel i feel we should just end the episode there <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think we've got a comic to look at first i think we do have to have a look at a comic um <laughs> uh but pj um we we are uh, back in the middle of a story, in the middle of Crisis Times 5. Uh, and, and what the hell has just happened? Well, we're on to Crisis Times 5, part two of four. And a bank just spat the flash out. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, a, uh, a genie, a uh, fifth dimensional genie has been let loose in the material plane and is now kind of wearing reality like a funny hat basically yeah he's been unleashed by one time justice leaguer and forgotten founder of the jla triumph who then got lost in time it's a whole thing um 
but he wanted his powers back. He wanted to be a hero again, and so he released this genie that gave him his powers, and he apparently now has a better costume and haircut. Mm, jury's out. Uh, yeah, but now the genie is running amok, and the JLA and the JSA are teaming up to take it on. And there's a bit of a kind of split team kind of thing going on here because thanks to our man who is a temporary member of the JLA who is visiting from the 853rd century yeah it's a wonderful sentence to be able to say has warned them that this war with the fifth dimension is coming and uh, so some of the team have gone off into another dimension to try and rescue the spectre who is the representation yep. of, of Gog's wrath? And Superman is busy. He's planning things. He's, I think he's on the watchtower coordinating because he's the one who has the most experience with the fifth dimension. But that is where his enemy, Mister Muxius Patilic, comes from. See, this is why you're here, PJ, because you can <laughs> pronounce things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, I hope that makes sense because it's about to get weirder. Uh, and you know, um, you know, just just because what this episode desperately needed is is more characters, um, we we, um, we 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 join a group of bearded men. <laughs> yeah, this is when I first read this, I had no idea who any of these characters were. This was just weird to me. <laughs> yeah, so. The, ha, ha, what's your knowledge nowadays, PJ, on the quintessence? Uh, very slim, because I have no idea why these five characters were thrown together as sort of a watchful group of weirdos. Yeah, and I, I, I can almost certainly say that they are no longer a going concern in the DC universe. I feel like it was a pretty short-lived thing. Yeah, kind of like um, we're kind of getting like elders of the universe kind of mm. vibe, like these five immensely powerful beings. Um, who are PJ? Uh, Shazam, the Phantom Stranger, Ganthit, Zeus, and the All Father of New Genesis. Hi, Father. All Father. Hi, Father. Hi, Father. Hi, Father. <laughs> and of those, PJ, who has the best beard? Uh, Shazam. Shazam is the right answer, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Zeus looks like a Muppet. Zeus does look like a Muppet. That's no reflection on the artwork. I'm more commenting on his kind of just general style, really. Yeah. yeah. Phantom Stranger has the, the best outfit. The Phantom Stranger is great. Yeah. He's he's wearing that hat, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I... Don't I still don't get why these five characters are together. Ganthit being there makes absolutely no sense. Why is no, one of the guardians here? I just no this this is silly. This is stupid. Yeah, I'm putting yeah, a stop to it right now. It's it's weird. And and another weird thing is that like in the previous issue, we saw Shazam. Like, yeah. Very briefly, and he looked yeah. all kind of like messed up and I don't know, he he looked like he was burnt almost because of the you know, fifth dimensional lightning, which was like arcing around the rock of eternity. Yeah, it's weird. They're basically here to recap for us as well. They're just standing over the earth going, this is Triumph. He's done bad things. Here's two pens. They've got genies in them. Triumph picked up one. This kid picked up another. 
look, there's Captain Marvel. He's flying towards the moon. It, yeah, and um, clearly uh, quite a wordy page. Or each member of the quintessence has their own particular way of uh, kind of speaking. And it's a small thing, but I, I always noted how Ganethet's, uh his panel is so kind of wordy that they just dropped the font size. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not by I say not by one point, possibly by like two or three. Like, yeah, yeah. His his dialogue is tiny in the panel, and there is absolutely no need for Morrison to have stuck these characters in this story. I think they're literally just doing it for fun. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, at this point, like, why not? Yeah, you know, like this is already like uh, this entire storyline is just like cameo central. So I guess yep. why not weave a few more in? <laughs> yeah. And then if we, we turn the page and we get a lovely double page spread of the craziness happening on Earth as the evil genie wreaks havoc, uh, we can see Wildcat, Huntress, Green Lantern and Plastic Man all in various states of panic as they're attacked by buildings, people. Both the Flashes are there as well, actually, in the background. Jay Garrick is helping Wally get up. Things are on fire... Um, people are melting, and it's it's craziness. You also get the roll calls here. So JLA, Superman, Flash, Huntress, Zariel, Plastic Man, Green Lantern, guest starring Captain Marvel, JSA, Sentinel, Flash, Wildcat, Hippolyta, Spectre, and introducing JJ Thunder. Yeah, and it's great. Like, it it just looks amazing. And I, and I think um, you could very easily paint this scene as full-on horror because mm. like there are people kind of like turning to stone or paper or or liquid and melting like it is utter madness but i think uh i think porter's artwork keeps it just on the right side of action i suppose like there's a there's a de- definitely like a desperation to it you really do feel like the league are kind of on the back foot here but yeah, not it's it's not horrific enough to kind of just ruin it for you. It has a real Ghostbusters vibe to me. Oh. The, the sequence in the original movie towards the end, when the ghosts all sort of start invading New York City. That is a that is a very good shout, PJ. Yeah, very very. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, it's the right side of chaotic. Mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah, this is also now where we get our title and credits. So it's Crisis Times 5 Part 2, World Turned Upside Down, Grant Morrison, writer, Howard Porter, penciler, John Dell, inker, Ken Lopez, letterer, Pat Garrahy, colorist, Heroic Age Separations, Tony Bedard, associate editor, Dan Raspler, editor. <sighs> I do I do like how the Spectre is listed as a member of the JSA. Like, I know, obviously, he was at one point. But I think in the context of this particular story, I don't think the Spectre would consider themselves to be a member of the JSA. Probably not, but I think it makes more sense to have him in with them than with the JLA members in the roll call. Also, it evens it out a bit. So, <laughs> And also, like, the Spectre is a visually interesting character to look at. Mm. I mean, particularly when he's got his robe closed and you don't have to focus on his kind of, like, Speedos. <laughs> yeah, Actually, definitely. the Speedos aren't so bad. It's for little boots and gloves, which are weird. Hey, now they're a they're, he is a fashion icon. I think you'll find John because of the boots and gloves. It's yeah. The, the Spectre isn't. I'm just saying the Spectre is an interesting look, actually. Yes, definitely. <laughs> a little hard when you're basically omnipotent to maybe kind of like balance power levels on a team, but fun to have around. <laughs> yes, 
for sure. But we'll cover the Spectre in a little more detail later on because uh, oh, the Spectre stuff in this story is is really, really clever. Uh, but yeah, so um, everyone's screaming uh, and we turn the page and uh, we are right in the middle of the horror where we see a car come to life like a dinosaur. We see a man's legs turn to tree roots, which is which is horrific. Um yeah, we see someone turning to water, we see a guy turning to fire, uh, and we have the two flashes just freaking the absolute hell out in the middle of all this. Yeah, Jake Eric is able to recognise that that's not Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt, this is something else. And uh, Wally realises the kid from the bank, that from the last issue, is the one that has the Thunderbolt, and they're trying to find him, and he's uh, getting chased by a uh, male thing. That has come to life. I don't know what they call them in the US. Those blue mailboxes, post boxes, do they? I don't know. Surely, like, oh yeah, is it a post box or that thing you get a newspaper out of? It's it's firing letters out of its mouth. So I'm going with post box. Yeah, well, I feel we're betraying our rural British origins here, PJ, <laughs> where we don't really understand things. Yeah, that's fair. Let's just move on, because Jay shouts out, someone get the boy, and the wildcat just jumps in and punches the postbox in the mouth. (laughs) Uh, And we have a lovely thing where uh, Huntress is genuinely freaking out. Mm. You know, because, you know, this is kind of, you know, very, very, very competent character, but this is kind of, like, not her world. This is not her kind of... you know, vigilantes and, uh, you know, thugs and bank robbers. That's her deal. And now literally, like, matter is flowing like liquid. And she's just going, like, I'm going to be sick. I can't I can't handle this. And uh, Wildcat's like, hey, look, we're the heroes. We're the guys who don't throw up when the world needs saving. And and he's, and he's telling her, like, like I, come on, I need you. I need you to... I can't do this without you. Mm. Like, he... He's probably as freaked out as everyone, but like he's 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 been doing this a very long time. He's like, we have to step up. Yeah, he's just got to get on with it. And Kyle, um, I mean, like Kyle, he does deal with a lot of crazy crap all the time, and he, in a way, is not that the flashes aren't powerful here, but I feel like Kyle is like the best equipped to kind of deal with this in a way. I think as well there's an element of levelling up for Kyle, in certainly in the pages of JLA at this point. I do feel like ever since he had the conversation with Sandman about mm. how his ring was a wishing ring, he has been he has evolved slightly and, and he's got more confident and he's doing more stuff with the ring that he, than he could before. And I think this page is a prime example because he is actually holding his own against this world going insane. Well, yeah, and it and it reminds me of I, I can't oh god I can't remember the exact story, but there was a point in, a, in an earlier story not that long ago where somebody was like, "We need Superman and Green Lantern." Mm. You know what I mean? Like someone was like, "They're the the heavy hitters. We need them." Yeah, and and I think it's fair. It's like it's so nice to see kind of Kyle grow, and and, and frankly, like um, the way Porter draws him and his powers it just makes him i don't know there does seem to be something special about kyle 
when he's when he's kind of when he's acting and it's like i i'm not doing a very good job of describing this but like there's a ton of characters out there who can project energy or yeah. can even make stuff i mean god there's so many kind of like green lantern clones out there but like it's so nice to see him being really creative with the power it just makes yeah. him you you know why he's top of the pile is what i'm trying to say badly yeah. i should say no i 100 percent agree and on this page alone he's he's protecting people from giant bugs he's he's saving lives he's he's attacking back he's looking up at a building looking down at him as a man screams about his wife turning into ice cream and melting in the sun and then kyle just he gets angry and there's a burst of energy from his ring as he shouts, just screams a, a, a wild noise and flies up towards the genie building thing. Isn't no, you see, that's interesting because, like, it, it, I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing because I think it's completely open to interpretation. But I'd always seen that as less anger and more, just like, like a scream of like frustration or like a kind of like like almost like pressure like literally like everyone everyone is screaming for his help and he's just like geez louise i can't do this it's almost like too much oh see i yeah no i interpret it as i've got to do i've got to do something i'm going after the source this is i agree it's he's going is this is too much but he's i look at it in a slightly different way of i've got to stop this no that does no, that does kind of make sense, actually. Yeah, I'd never read it that way. But yeah, because, of course, he we get this awesome picture of him kind of charging up. And I, I love it when Porter just draws, like, the energy of the ring looks so kind of layered. You know, like, his, his, his protective shield has different textures in the green. And then you just got crackles of energy and beams of light off the ring itself. He just, he's just kind of bursting with energy. And yeah, he's, he's rocketing upwards, only to would literally get punched in the face by a, a man who's made of a building. Several buildings, in fact, I think, this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love... I just love this. I think um, young John was quite kind of struck by this thing where, like, it's a being just literally wearing matter like mm. a suit. It's delightful. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he pounds Kyle back to the floor, laughing as he does so. Plastic man tries to get the monster's attention but shouting uh, lyrics from Pink Floyd and then saying you want surrealism try dueling with the champ but the genie just grabs him says what are you to me stretches him out clasps him in his fist and then puts him down on the ground and plastic man has been turned into a stone yeah and you know i know plastic man's annoying but like i do like that that Kyle kind of cries out it's like you know he's he's like oh god no you know he, he, he's he's a, he's a pain in the ass but he is his teammate yeah and if something can do this to plastic man they know it's serious as well yeah and there's what i like about this is that like there's a subtle reason as to why the flashes aren't kind of engaging in the the fight as mm -hmm. it were you know it doesn't just evolve into as a team, let's all just kind of punch, let's all just try and punch the big monster. It's actually like they're having to use their powers creatively, which I do kind of like. So because this thing is just moving through matter and causing chaos, the the two flashes are, you just see them in the background, they're creating a wall of debris. They're basically kind of just kind of essentially causing as much 
as much disruption to the local matter as they can to try and slow this thing down. Yeah. It's just something, I love that. It's just such a nice little detail. And a really interesting use of their powers as well. And they're just, they're running so fast you can't really see them in still panels. Like in the, the panel of Plastic Man and Kyle, they're just a blur in the background. But then the next panel we close in on them, we go up to their speed. And yeah, John uh, Jay says that if this thing does have the powers like Johnny's Thunderbolt, this is a problem. And Wally says, look, there's something flickering near the frequencies of the Speed Force wall. Strobe with me and you'll see it. And they do. They see basically the entrance to the fifth dimension. Yeah, or like, or and I guess like the true form yeah. of this thing where it's like a being of light and you can see like it its face but then it's also just got like countless kind of smaller faces like branching off it yeah and arms and it's jay shouts it's drawing its power from the surface of the fifth dimension batman was right but it's it's coming up behind kyle as well and the flashes don't have time to slow down and warn him because they were moving too fast for him to be able to understand them if they shout a warning at this point uh, uh, <laughs> i this is something that Morrison does a lot in their work. And now, PJ, as a as a Star Trek hmm. aficionado, maybe you can comment on this. You know, like how in Star Trek, they'd often hit, they'd run into a technological or scientific problem. Yes. Which was fantastical and kind of impossible. Like, yep. I don't know, like, oh, the ship has collided with a, a quantum filament or something like that. Yep. So then they need to fix, they need to find a solution to, to uh, they need to find a way around it. And it's kind of gibberish. Yes. Like, it's kind of all nonsense. Techno babble. Techno babble. And yet, it's not 100% stupid because they're, they're at least kind of, they're working with a consistent logic in that world. Yeah, well, on, on Star Trek, what they would do is they, they had science consultants who worked on the scripts, and certainly the next generation up to Enterprise. I don't know if they did it so much on the original series or on the newer shows running today, but for that period, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, they'd write the script, and then they'd literally just write in there, techno babble, and the <laughs> scientists would then have to come in and insert something that, that fit and sounded right. <laughs> Well, this is what this is what I love about superhero nonsense when it's done well. Yeah, I love the idea because you go, let's we have these characters, let's throw a completely unique and impossible challenge at them, and then rather than have them just kind of punch it for twenty two pages, let's consider how their powers might work in mm. unique ways with it. So this is techno babble. Yeah, but it it's it. I love it because it, it it makes sense in this fantastical setting, where it's yes. like we're we're being attacked by a being which has more dimensions than we can conceive. But wait, I'm the Flash. Oh, and I think I can see something by the speed wall, the speed force wall. Yeah, you know, I love this. I love this crap. Like it, this is creative and wonderful. It's it's. It's everything I think comics should be. Yeah, and I love that in this instance as well, the Flash going up to that speed where they're getting close to the Speed Force wall and can see the surface of the fifth dimension, they're then moving too fast to actually 
actually help Kyle? <laughs> this is yeah. This is just this is um. Oh God! Isn't there like um an Ursula Le Guin quote that I'm gonna completely garble here? Mm. Which is something like, isn't it like fantasy without reason? It's like fantasy abandoned by reason is it's something like is the is the creation of impossible monsters, but fantasy with reason is the origin of marvels. Yeah, I think it's some something like that, which I'm horribly, horribly misquoting. But this is what I mean. It's like this is all fantastic, but if you just put like a little drop of reason into it, you get gold because it means you just yeah. think about it a little bit and come up with unique consequences. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and it's something that Morrison is really good at. I'm gonna have to find that quote and get it get it correct. <laughs> well, you go do that. I will quickly describe how. Kyle, getting sucked into the surface of the fifth dimension, finds himself sort of, his, his body goes all floopy, effectively. He ties in knots, he starts shouting, but his speech bubbles are backwards because his reality has been incredibly warped. And he says it's it's all folding up into... Uh, but that's, as I say, all, all mirrored in the caption boxes. His arms are looping around themselves and his legs are sort of swapping places. It's it's a mess for Kyle, and you do see Wally shouting his name because he has no respect for secret identities. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, Kyle has been sucked into the fifth dimension. Um, but you know that's just another day on the job for the JLA. Um, <laughs> and up in the tower, up in the watchtower, we get uh, Superman and our man kind of observing the scene from on high, and this is a small detail. But um, I really like Superman's back in this first panel. Mm. Yeah, the way he's got his arms sort of clasped behind him and, and how that affects his cape is, is yeah, it's, it's a really nice little detail. Well, you don't often see the back of Superman. I mean, you do, but it's not in like every every kind of shot. But like you do forget sometimes that Superman has a big S on the back of his cape as well. He doesn't always, though, does he? Sometimes it's left off and I can never remember when uh, which eras it is there and isn't there <laughs> for yeah yeah um i i've got i had a i think i've mentioned it before i had a really bizarre hardback dc special i think from the 70s or 80s mm. where and in one of the stories in that superman battled an alien which had taken on the identity and powers of hal jordan and Superman beat Hal Jordan by taking his cape off and wrapping it around his fist. So, so that, yellow, yeah, yeah, and then and then punching punching Green Lantern. <laughs> I think. Yeah, Superman is is that they're saying we've lost Green Lantern, we've lost Plastic Man. This five dimensional entity is devastating Keystone City. Steel's coming up here to take my place because I'm going to find a way into the fifth dimension to just sort this out. Because I'm Superman, it's what I do. This is um I I I do like how I think this we'll see a little element of this in World War Three when mm. we get there, which I'm very excited about. But it's very Superman to just kind of throw himself in the direction of yes. the biggest danger, basically. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because lives are on the line. What else can he do? And also, like it's um 
I, I'm just thinking, actually, very strong cape game on this page. <laughs> yeah, because obviously Our Man's there, and Our Man has a lovely cape. Big fan of Our Man's big, pointy, billowy, flowing, wrapped around his body hood cape. It's a lovely cape. Our Man's cape looks quite comfy. Like it's like a sleeping bag. Yeah, you like he looks like that. he's just completely swaddled in it. <laughs> And uh, Superman says to him, "So uh, you said Captain Marvel was gonna was gonna join us. When's he getting here?" And our man says, "Oh, he just arrived on the surface." And then we get Captain Marvel and his lovely cape game. Uh, yeah, who um, has landed on the surface of the moon? Uh, and um, I mean, an incredible feat. Don't get me wrong. He looks a little uncomfortable, <laughs> uh, and uh, he's kind of mouthing, "Open the airlock," to which, of course, Superman can see, and. Uh, yeah, I think it's like, oh, I guess we should let him in then. <laughs> but of yeah. course, uh, we cut from... This is all getting a bit heavy for me, PJ. I think uh, I could do with a drink. So uh, we cut to a bar. Yeah, let's, let's just go to a bar in New York. Oh, no, wait, there's a supervillain in the bar, John. Oh, P- PJ, he, can't, he, he couldn't possibly be a supervillain. Oh, Triumph, found, Triumph founded the League. Yeah, but now he's gone a bit cuckoo. Look at his amazing hair, PJ. Is that what that is? Now, interestingly, he asked for his powers back. Yeah. No, sorry. He wished for his powers back, and he wished for a cool costume and a cooler haircut. All these things were granted. I don't recall him specifically asking to have the thickest neck in the world. (laughs) That's just a byproduct of his powers. That, I suppose, because I guess that's where he keeps his magnetic resonance is in his kind of trapezoids. Yeah, <laughs> they're the most magnetic muscles, glutes. Uh, I don't know which part of the body that is. It's the most magnetic part of the body. Uh, yeah. So uh, Triumph has gone from being uh, uh, a little. I, I guess you could say uh, an innocent fool caught up in this. Uh, now seems to be quite happy to have unleashed this chaos, basically. He's like, I needed the JLA out of the way for a while, so I just let my genie go crazy, basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's not alone, because he's joined it. He's joined by his former comrades in... Oh, if it wasn't Extreme Justice, it may have been Extreme Justice... It, it was, was that. It was Justice League Task Force issue sixteen thirty seven, John. Wow, and I knew it. Yeah, because I was getting it confused with Extreme Justice, which was also around that era and very nineties. Does 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 your copy not have the asterisk with the little caption box telling you that? Oh my god! Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, I could have passed that off as me just knowing that, but no. <laughs> PJ, I honestly genuinely don't know if i've ever noticed in all the years i've been reading this book that particular um that particular little box possibly because the text is even smaller than ganthet's on the first page <laughs> but i i love that that he's, he's there with gypsy and the ray who are two of his teammates saying yeah you guys are in my league now and he's clearly mind controlled them and but i love that they bother to refer back to those issues from probably a good six years before this book came out <laughs> Yeah, it's, well, it's weird, isn't it? Because who was carrying a torch for Triumph at this point in time? I, Nobody, I have to imagine. Like, And 
and I could be completely wrong here, but my understanding is that the whole thing about Triumph being the forgotten founder of the league basically entirely originated from Justice League Task Force, did it not? Yeah. Like, I thought that's where he was introduced. Yeah, I believe so. I've never read those issues. As I say, the only thing I can think of that I've read with Triumph in his Zero Hour, but 21 issues, that's all he got in Justice League Task Force, and... Yeah, Morrison manages to pull that character out and craft an amazing story around him. I mean, you could probably argue maybe the best Triumph story, really. Of the two I've read, yes. <laughs> the um, what what purpose does he play in? Sorry, do you say Final Night or uh, Zero, Zero Hour? And he, Zero it's, Hour. he's literally just in there as part of the league. Oh, okay. And he's got his powers at that point. Yeah, probably. I can't remember him really doing much except standing around in a couple of panels. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 something that's been done a lot over the years. So I don't want to say that this is the first instance of it, and of course it wouldn't have been Morrison anyway. But like, there's like a trope, isn't there, about like intentionally retconning a character in, well, and then com- coming up for reasons why they weren't there. Yeah, look, the Sentry is probably the most famous the example. Sentry, of course. You're right, PJ. Although he was never in the Avengers in his history, but he was apparently best friends with both the Hulk and Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, I always, yeah, I felt a little sad about the Sentry. I always felt like, because wasn't it, um, oh, uh, another one of the British invasion creators from the 80s, wasn't it? Paul, Paul Jenkins. Paul Jenkins, yeah. Um, it was a Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee. Yes originally and then it was bendis who kind of reintroduced him into the pages of new avengers i want to say yeah bendis brought the sentry in as in new avengers and then that's a, a mini series then spun out of that that jenkins wrote again um but i think it's really bendis and jenkins are the ones who've mostly written the sentry yeah i kind of like I, I, for all his problems, I kind of liked the Sentry. Um, yeah, I think ultimately, of course, he he just went down the road of being, oh, he's quote unquote comics crazy. Yeah, and and now he's become chaotic evil, basically. I think I feel like Jenkins had a hand in what happened to the character in New Avengers as well, because in one of the issues that Bendis wrote. Paul Jenkins turns up as a character who created the Sentry as a comic book character. Yeah. And I feel like they couldn't do that without running it by Paul Jenkins first. <laughs> or maybe when you write anything for Marvel, you sign like a little yeah, contract that possibly. says, we actually own anything you create and you as a concept. But of course, Marvel went one further with the Sentry. And in the original series, in the back of each issue, they'd have interviews with Stan Lee remembering, oh, yeah, no, I did create that character back in the 60s and everyone forgot about it. Isn't that weird? To the point where some people actually bought it and thought it was a Stan Lee creation. I mean, you only get to do that once, really, don't you? You do. You do. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like there could have been a place for the Sentry in the Marvel Universe, but... I kind of see also why he eventually just went away. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, um, friend of, of ours, uh, mutual friend of ours, comic book writer Joe Glass, once wrote a spec script for a Sentry film. 
um, that I had the pleasure of reading that would actually fit quite well in the MCU, and uh, I think Marvel should contact him. Oh. Well, bloody hell, Joe. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Man of many, man of many talents. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, you may be wondering why uh, his two buddies have joined Triumph when clearly the world is in pretty dire straits. Uh, well, that's because they're being mind controlled, basically. Yeah, yeah, and everyone else in the bar is 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 unconscious. And if you look through the doors on the bottom of the page into the kitchen, the bar's actually on fire as well. Yeah, it's got a whole kind of like going to hell kind of vibe to it, really. Yeah. I do like also on the uh, light over the pool table, uh, (laughs) rather works Motley Brew written over and over and over again. And uh, Beelzebub. Oh, my God. I never got that. (laughs) I was literally looking at it going like Beelzebub. I mean, it's not spelled correctly, but it is. I think it's supposed to be Beelzebub. You see, if, if there was ever any doubt, PJ, as to why you're here. <laughs> but yeah, Triumph's basically saying, yeah, you're here. I had to mind control you, yeah, but we're the real league. Now let's go up to the moon and become the Justice League. I do love that. Again, Morrison, very good at voicing villains. Uh, I feel like Triumph's villain voice has a very distinct flavour to it. Mm. He's like... He's kind of like a kid... In many yeah. ways, there's a real pettiness to it. Yeah. But I do love that, let's go live on the moon. It's like, yeah, it's like the boy whose every wish suddenly came true. Yeah, there's a real selfishness to Triumph, uh, more so than a lot of the other characters, uh, the other villains we've met. It's very much about him and a, a petty selfishness as well. Suddenly, we, we, we jump scene yet again. We're no longer in a bar. Uh, now we're in the astral boundary. Yeah, and Sentinel and Zauriel have arrived, presumably through magical means, with their magical powers. Um, But they're at a a rock that's a thousand miles across that the Spectre is currently embedded in. Yeah, um, one can only assume that the astral boundary is connected to the immaterial realms? Yeah, something like that. Why not? Or is this, I don't know, a different part of the immaterial realms, one would imagine. Um, And... Yeah, I, I guess kudos to Sentinel because Sentinel is pretty is pretty fast to work out exactly what the hell is going on here. Um, the Spectre, who, as we saw in the last issue, has been imprisoned in a giant rock, like embedded in a giant rock. Uh, it's not just any rock. It's a living, breathing world. Yeah, there's a whole ecosystem. There's, there's It's a superb half-page panel. I cannot stress how good this is of a gi- the giant figure of the Spectre, just his upper torso and face sort of embedded in a mountain range as grass glo- grows around him and Zauriel and Sentinel stood on a rock in the foreground and there's birds, trees, these, these little red koala-looking creatures around as well and yeah, it's basically the one prison they can't just break the Spectre out of because they'll kill a whole bunch of things. Yeah, um, and uh, Zauriel is like, well, we're, we're screwed. We're outmaneuvered. And uh, Sentry just goes, okay, one step at a time. It's basically like, it's a problem. We have to solve it. Sentinel. Did I say Sentinel? You said Sentry. Oh, my God. It's on my brain, PJ. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, we might as well cut back to Keystone City because that's where everything's going to hell. Yeah, and JJ the kid is still just running through the chaos and his, his pink pen is talking to him and basically saying, you could fix all this by releasing me and saying the magic words. And JJ's like, no, I'm going to swear a lot instead. Uh, yeah, uh, he's doing that wonderful, uh, which you don't get, frankly, mm. in comics very often nowadays, but he's doing that wonderful... Um, Asterix and obelisk kind of swearing yeah where this is like punch the what do they call it like emanata or whatever like yeah <laughs> punch for symbols on your keyboard basically yeah and the the he's saying look you turned up when i said say you love satan so you're clearly evil and the thunderbolt says no it's it's just the say you part that's my name backwards say you just say it i can help that's that's always weird isn't it is is that weird to me or to you? Like, where did the whole kind of like say you thing come from? That's pretty random, even for like the nineteen forties or. Whatever. I, I have no idea. I mean, maybe they were on drugs. Um, but much like Johnny Thunder, only the seventh son of a seventh son born on the year and the hour and the minute of seven can command me. <laughs> yep. Yep. So JJ's got a family. Uh, he has, he has indeed. And does it? Isn't there a connection? Isn't like because we we didn't we open this story opened in uh, Badnesia. Oh, Badnesia, and isn't it? Isn't the genie referred to as like the Badnesian thunderbolt or yes. something like that? Yeah, he is. Yes, no, but there is a connection. Yeah, again, screams nineteen forties kind of comics. Yeah. Oh, definitely, and it's yeah, oh, it's brilliant. I love it. I love it. And then over the page, Huntress is still struggling. I mean, she's just shot a mummy in the neck, so that's nice. And Wildcat is fighting uh, Evil Edna from Willow the Wisp. Now, that's a reference which will just be instantly relatable to everyone watching. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Willow the Wisp was uh, an early 80s cartoon in the UK where there was a witch in it called Evil Edna and she was a television set. And I do like the idea that the flashes are making a wall of pressurized debris. Mm. Plastic Man got turned to stone. Uh, poor Kyle has been blasted into the fifth dimension. And even though Wildcat is doing an ad- admirable job, uh, his kind of strategy at the moment is kind of like punch anything that moves, basically. Yeah, yeah pretty much. And Huntress is still saying she's out of her depth, but Wildcat's saying, look, life gets weird, just roll with the punches and hope you're still standing at the end. The Flashes have thrown up a cordon, and then something starts to come through, and Huntress panics. She's like, what is it? What could possibly be coming through? What are we going to do? But Wildcat's fine with it. Uh, Because, uh, as he says, uh, the JSA signal doesn't ring out very often, but when it does, people answer the call. And uh, it's the last of the surviving members of the original JSA, Hippolyta, uh, Queen of the Amazons, who I swear I think I used to just pronounce as Hippolyta in my head when I was when I was younger. <laughs> but yeah, she turns up in full Wonder Woman outfit and just says, "Oh, Huntress, how are you? Nice to see you." And Huntress is so relieved. <laughs> now, PJ, this is the. This is where it gets a bit weird, isn't it? Because I was we've we've talked about it at length on this podcast, but I was at, I was of the opinion that like Hippolyta is of the Amazons, she's very long lived. She was Wonder Woman back during 
World War Two. That's what I assumed until recently as well. And then I found out that no, apparently she travelled back in time from the modern age, spent a few years with the JSA and then came back. And that is so stupid. Just have her have been the original Wonder Woman in the 40s that fought with the Justice Society. Which is, and again, either, you know, because really like both are fulfilling the same storytelling function. Yeah. The weird thing to the weirdest part about that to me is is that like Hippolyta left the league maybe like a few weeks ago. Yeah. A couple of months if we're feeling charitable. And I guess we could kind of assume that in those two months she went back in time. No, it happened because she only left the league because Diana came back. Hippolyta went back in time while Diana was dead. So it happened probably in between some of those Justice League adventures, or maybe during Rock of Ages. Right. And that's weird to me. Yeah. Because that means it's like, it's this big reunion where like, oh, the JSA are getting together again. But but from her perspective, she's like, oh, it's Ted Grant, who 17 days ago, I went into the past with and spent like five years fighting the yeah. Axis powers. It's so she saw bizarre. him like two weeks ago, basically. <laughs> so bizarre. Uh, I'd much prefer it if it wasn't time travel. I just think that would be so much better. What's what's kind of like uh, weird here, of course, is that, and it's nice in a way, but also Hippolytus like, oh, Huntress, good to see you. How are you? Yeah. And it's kind of shame because you never really saw them interact when no. they were on the team together. No, I honestly, I feel like this story is the first time Morrison doesn't just write her as Diana. Yeah. Yeah, I, she I, definitely feels like a different character here. I, I feel like... In the original JLA stories she was in, both by Morrison and Mark Wade, neither one of them wanted to deal with the fact that Diana was dead and it wasn't the original Wonder Woman on the team. So when they had to have Hippolyta on there instead, they just wrote her as Diana. Another weird question, PJ, but where is Diana right now? Oh, having a nap. I don't know. She's just we, one of the leaguers that isn't in this story. We have to assume. We have to assume that, like, when that happens, it's because they are otherwise unavailable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, unless maybe it's like Orion and Big Barda. Yeah, that's possible. She's just off doing something else. Yeah, maybe she was like, I don't know, in space or something. Yeah. Let's say Why? that. Diana's Why? in space. Yes. They have everyone has busy lives, you know. <laughs> um Yeah. But yeah, and and also like it's a really small thing, but like I kind of like how Huntress just seems to click with Wildcat and Hippolyta. Yeah. In a way that she maybe doesn't with the league. Yeah. And I, I find that really just kind of... There's no real reason for it because she's very, very, very competent. But, like, isn't that very true to life? Don't you find that sometimes, like, you, you maybe you've been in a group and for whatever reason, there's nothing wrong. Everyone's a very nice person. You just don't quite feel like you fit in. Yeah. Oh, we've all been there. Yeah. So I feel for her a bit. Yeah, for sure. Maybe would have been a lot happier in the JSA. <laughs> maybe she should have time-travelled instead. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but then we cut back to the watchtower where Captain Marvel is just walking out of the airlock and Superman welcomes him and says you're always welcome Bill and I love that Superman just calls him Bill <laughs> I oh love that it's so good it's so good I like 
it's it's a very subtle thing, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like Superman has very few peers. You know, like even when he's among the league, he's maybe sometimes a little apart from them because yeah. he is this kind of living legend. And it's like when Captain Marvel turns up, I feel there's like a kind of easy kinship between the two of them because they are so similar. Yes. You know, there's very few people they could relate to. Yeah, for sure. And he says, you know, I'm sorry you're here in the middle of an emergency. And and Captain Marvel says, well, that's actually why I'm here. I know that Earth is about to come under attack from uh, Jin or genies. Uh, Superman says, yeah, we think they're from the fifth dimension, Mr. Muxius. Oh, I got it wrong. Mr. Muxius Putaluk. <laughs> there we go. Mr. Muxius Putaluk's home. And, he's, uh, and also it's the Thunderbolt from the Second World War. It's all right. I'm going to go into the fifth dimension and try and sort things out. And I, I do, again, this is, again, the kind of fantasy and reason thing. I love how Superman's like, hey, Bill, like, a lot of your adventures are pretty irrational, so you've got a lot of experience in this area, so, you know, really glad you're here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, like, you know, come on, like, if, you, if you've if you got, like, a crazed supervillain holding hostages in Gotham Bank, you call Batman. You know, if it's maybe, like, Oh my god, there's a giant uh clockwork dinosaur attacking a city. That's kind of Captain Marvel territory. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a little stupid and childlike, it's it's Captain Marvel. Yeah. And then Captain Marvel puts his hand on Superman's shoulder from from behind and says, "Look, uh, I can access the fifth dimension from the Rock of Eternity, so uh, I can sort this. Really sorry about this." And then you turn the page and there is this amazing panel of Captain Marvel decking Superman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even then, one punch is not enough. Yeah. And you yeah. see Su- Superman kind of rubbing his face and just going like, what, uh, uh, Bill? And, yeah. then, and then he cracks him again. And Energy Superman crackling around his fists as well while he does it. And, oh, it's so good. Yeah, and it, and it is not quite the uh, Superman-Captain Marvel battle from Kingdom Come. No. Shall we say? It's a very different energy. But, yeah. like, And I love the fact that like the dialogue just basically drops away. You know, we're, we're just letting the artwork kind of sing here. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and it is stunning artwork. <laughs> and then in the next panel, our man's just stood there and all he does is say... Not many people can do that. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> you know, it's it's a small thing here, but I would like to commend um, Porter for drawing two classical 1930s strongmen, Caucasians with dark hair and, and not making them look identical. Yeah. Yeah, they're clearly different characters. It's, it's really good. And I, I should say, actually, in... The latest Afterlife Inc. book, I directly ask the artist to reference the panel of Captain Marvel putting his hand on Superman's shoulder and raising a fist. Ah, nice. I directly, I took a photo of this page and I was like, this is what I have in mind for these characters. Can you do this pose? I gotta say, most of the time when I'm trying to picture comic panels, I do think of moments from this series. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And just because there are such wonderful sequences like this one. And even this 
this panel where Captain Marvel is stood over Superman, rubbing his fist because he's just punched an invulnerable man into unconsciousness. <laughs> um, and he says, look, I, I got lucky. I caught him off guard and he's vulnerable to magic. So that's how I did it. But I feel like a real heel having done it. Is it the, I forget, is it the strength of Hercules? Uh, what is it? Uh, Solomon, Hercules, uh, Atlas? Atlas? No. no. Um, oh, God, we're better than this, PJ. Yeah. Solomon, it's the power Hercules. of, power yeah. of Zeus, the strength of Hercules, the speed of... Uh, Mercury. Oh, Mercury. Mercury? The end? Yeah. The wisdom of Solomon. And then the two A's. And then the two A's. <laughs> we can do this. We'll we'll work that out. I'm tired. Maybe it's later. The end of the day. I normally, I, you know, I know Shazam. Shut up. Oh, I know Shazam. Yeah, he's got <laughs> enough letters. He can just be Sham. That's fine. Um, but yeah, uh, so, and Captain Marvel just goes to our man, like, um, I hope you won't try to stop me, you know, and uh, our man's like, um, oh, no, 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 it's cool. I mean, on the contrary, like, this moment was, you know, meant to happen. Uh, to which Captain Marvel's like, oh, I mean, surely, like you're 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 the master of time, like surely you can help us with all this. And as he points out, as I think you pointed out, PJ, well, time is the fourth dimension, and we're dealing with fifth dimensional beings. So, uh, yeah, sorry, you're on your own here. Yep. And then he says, also, in exactly one minute, I'm going to make uh, the decision to remain on the Watchtower, and I love that that he hasn't made the decision yet, but he's going to. <laughs> and uh captain marvel tries to persuade him but he's like uh he's like no no i'm sorry i'm about to make a very important decision in fact the more i think about it yeah no i i need to stay here <laughs> and i can't tell captain... if our man is telling the truth or just oh yeah being, or just being a prick i think he is telling the truth i think he's he's being 100 percent honest it's just how he views the world and captain marvel's just like right well fair enough guess think time's different for you but uh i'd love to have a conversation but i've got to get to the fifth dimension uh, well, actually, PJ, he says, I have a date with the fifth dimension, which, <laughs> believe me, if I were a, if I were a superhero, I would find every moment I could to say weird shit like that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is why you're not a superhero, John. I know. You'd abuse other, the dialogue. <laughs> but what other job, PJ, do you get that level of satisfaction? True. True. I definitely don't get satisfaction in my current job. Can I, just say, I have I, a date with hotels. Uh, well, I mean, not all heroes wear capes, PJ. No, like Flash, he doesn't. No, and, and some of them have to do hotel-related things. Yeah, well, not many. Um, I, then for I some reason, to... we, we cut back to the quintessence and... They see Captain Marvel flying to the fifth dimension and Zeus is all, hey, Shazam, you didn't tell him that he shouldn't go alone. And Shazam says, he's not going to go alone. And then Ganthit says a lot of words again. <laughs> I can't imagine, like, uh, the quintessence is, I, it, it's not exactly like, um, uh, as a party, it's not exactly like uh, kicking off at any given time. No. But I, I imagine, like, Ganthit is, is the absolute killjoy. <laughs> you know, he just brings the mood down every time. It would be like, uh, do you remember that episode of of Mr. Bean where he had the New Year's party? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it would be that. Ugh. Yeah. 
Of course, like if Shazam weren't hanging out with all his beard bros, like in the upper universe, he could go back to the Rock of Eternity and actually warn Captain Marvel about going alone into chaos. He just said he's not going in alone. Well, I know, but quite. But they're going like, why didn't you warn him? He's like, oh, yeah. Well, I guess he's about to go to my house and then use the back door to get into the fifth dimension. But no, I guess I'll stay here. I'll, I'll stay here at this really boring party because someone's about to bring out the Watsits. Anyway, so um, just before they can, you know, break out Twister and the Watsits, <laughs> um, we cut back to the Watchtower where uh, somebody is arriving from a teleporter. And our man is like, uh, Steel? Is that... Why can't I see what's about to... And he turns, and it's, it's, tri- it's Triumph and Gypsy and Varey. And he's like, it's you. Uh, you're the blind spot in time. The man who shouldn't exist. You're blinding my time senses. Yeah, and Triumph doesn't like that. And he just says, don't you talk to me like that. We haven't met. I'm the new boss. And then he just blasts our man. Uh, yeah, and again, I, I Triumph isn't like the biggest, almost fleshed out character, but I do kind of like that his powers are just vaguely, very vaguely defined. They're magnetic. Yeah. And he's he's basically a magnetic Superman, and he just kind of gestures, and I'm assuming because our man is a robot, he... he just completely short circuits him. Yeah, pretty much. And then he he approaches the league's meeting table, grabs Superman's chair and says, ah, the throne's mine. And he says, we're about to save Keystone City, we'll be the new league, take the places of the old league. But then an alarm goes off because someone else has now teleported aboard and Steel's arrived. Yeah, um, I love Steel. Yep. (laughs) I've got a lot of time for Steel. Uh And, um... He's pissed off, and and instantly, instantly he know. There's no confusion here. He instantly knows that there are intruders. You know, I imagine alarms are going off, and uh, well, actually, no. But Ray says it, but like, Steel is 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 wired into the Watchtower's defenses, and he's like, yeah, enough crap. You know, Watchtower, give me data, bring the defense systems online, pacify the intruders. But then Triumph just steps in front of him and says, we're the new JLA, bad neighbourhood steal. Yeah, and yeah, you kind of feel for steal. Like, he's he's pretty formidable, but this doesn't kind of look good, basically. No, no, not really. Uh, but we, we cut back to Keystone, uh, where... Um, uh, Hippolyta is uh, taking down some uh, umbrellas. Umbrella racks. Umbrella racks. And uh, there's like a giant billboard of a woman coming to background in... Oh, can't speak. (laughs) Coming to life in the background. And um, it seems as though the craziness is slowing down, which is good, I think. But it it turns out it's not so much slowing down as it's formed a ring that's just closed in on JJ. Oh, yeah, and... Again, a credit to Porter on the art duties because you can totally see how the genie's kind of rippling effect through reality actually works. Mm. And yeah, it's like, uh, oh, the search function has narrowed in on the thing it was looking for. And yeah, so yeah, literally just this 
horrible wall of like kind of flowing tarmac is just becoming like monstrous faces and, and creatures um, around JJ. It's it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And Huntress says, look, distract the genie. I'll get the boy. As the Thunderbolt shouts at JJ, I'm going to be really calm. Do something. <laughs> yeah. And JJ, who, bless him, is just like has no idea what the hell is going on. Um, doesn't have time to react because Huntress does the Batman thing <laughs> yeah. and, and swoops in on in, an impossible geometry uh, on, a, on a zip line to yank him up by his coat. Yeah, and Hippolyta and Wildcat just start punching walls. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I really like how Porter draws Wildcat here. Mm. Um, again, I don't have a lot of affinity with the character of Wildcat. Um, this story is probably the most I've ever read with him. Um, but I like that he he's Batman-esque but doesn't just look like a Batman clone he does make him look a bit different yeah he's not he's not it's a different stance to Batman he he you know Batman is a master of multiple fighting styles Wildcat is a boxer and and Porter's clearly looked at photos of boxers and how they stand because that's Wildcat is all fists and uh well not all fist he's got a head as well but you know what I mean. <laughs> um but yeah it's a wonderful moment where again like two two old friends uh who haven't seen each other in ages apart from you know hippolyta who saw him like uh, four days ago and um she's like well look i'm immortal uh jay's got the speed force which keeps him young and apparently alan had 50 years stripped from him how are you still doing this when you're in your 70s? And uh, Wildcat's like, uh, um, I'll never tell. Uh, you know, he's like, he's like, he's just being coy. He's like, I've got, I've got a little secret, which, uh, you know, I'll tell you one day, perhaps. Yeah. And then because Hippolyta is the Golden Age Wonder Woman, she shouts, suffering Sappho, which, yes, please. Uh, yeah, because they 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 they're both good at what they do, but the ground is literally flowing like liquid. There is very little they can do against that. Yeah, they can't hold it back any longer. And now the evil genie is chasing down Huntress and JJ. And yeah, the ground yeah. is about to swallow up Wildcat and Hippolyta. Huntress is in trouble, and so JJ finally finally gets involved. He clicks the pen. He says, I'm going to kick your ass back to the 51st dimension. Say you. I just have to say very quickly, very quick sidebar. I like now that, uh, is it, oh God, is it uh, Lux? Lux? Lux. The, bl the blue genie. Uh, kind of manifests, I guess, in like its true form. Yeah. As a, as, a, as a being of like blue lightning. I just want to say, I really, really like how Porter draws him in these two panels. Yeah. There's like a kind of chunkiness to him. Yeah. It's just sure. I, small detail. I, I love it. Um, yeah. And the, the colors are fantastic as well because we go from a being of blue lightning to getting this incredible pink thunderbolt just kind of rocketing down across the panel. Yeah. And then we turn the page and there's like three quarters of the page is this one panel of the giant pink genie. Uh, yes. <laughs> towering over Lux and saying you've overstayed your welcome and Lux is just excellent let's have a big fight um, 
And I have to say, like, young John, who would draw superhero characters, uh, maybe got quite inspired by this series and its depiction of, like, crackling energy. Because he kind of worked out that, like, if you take, like, a pink crayon and you do a hard <laughs> line against... You do, what you do, PJ, is that you, you ink your picture, you do key lines, and you do a hard line of pink, and then you... You shade it gently into white in the middle. I maybe what I'm saying is I copied this relentlessly <laughs> to draw characters made of energy, and I I just I loved it. I I've forgotten how much of an impact it had on me. Hmm. It is beautiful. This this is superb stuff, and these two genies are about to mess things up, which is why Huntress says, "I think we've made a mistake." <laughs> now, PJ, you're very good at fifth dimensional name speak okay so so uh so cool and say you are like the the backwards summoning words for these two genies and we're how would you actually like how would you actually pronounce their names in fifth dimensional speak here uh i'm something is looks and yiz i think that's what i'm going with and looks actually in reverse is zukul 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 so cool and and zeyu zu i guess yeah zeyu yeah yeah as you said um they're not fangs of vowels no basically no do not ask me to say mixes but to look backwards please uh, I would not wish to cask you out of this dimension, PJ. <laughs> uh, but PJ, uh, that is the end of the issue. Yeah, we get a nice little to-be-continued box. So, there we go. It's going what, down. What do you think, PJ? Oh, it's superb. I think this four-part story is really well-paced. I think mm. is is what's really jumped out at me so far because the first issue is very much set up and then you end sort of with a every, everything in place and then the big actions just kicking off and then this issue is all action it's sort of a real big raising of the stakes you get the the whole Keystone City sequence you get Captain Marvel punching out Superman which is insane uh, and and Triumph starting to enact his plan and then it ends with a slight lull before you're getting into then okay we're getting a couple more specific fights coming up because you're gonna have the two genies fighting each other and you're gonna have triumph ray and gypsy fighting steel we know that's coming now but also then it's setting up the what's happening with captain marvel and yeah so i just think this is this is a really well-paced story oh i agree i agree entirely it's like uh every time i've read this story I've read it as part of this trade, you mm. know. I I would not normally stop at the uh, chapter slash issue breaks. I just yeah. flow straight into the story, and it's really interesting actually reading it chapter, sorry, issue by issue for this podcast. Because yeah, reading this little segment, I'm like, that was brilliant. If I picked that up as an issue, you know, in its original format. I would be thoroughly satisfied. Yeah. Like, a lot happens. And yet, it's, as you say, the pacing is wonderful. It just feels like perfect value for money. Like, 
it's action-packed and it's not vapid and empty it's it's lovely yeah and it's it really makes you want to know what happens next it mm. does a really good job of getting you back for part three i because like as we said before like i i collected this series in trade paperback form but in completely the wrong order in completely wrong order i started at world war three i went back and started filling in the gaps and I remember vividly buying this trade paperback in my first year of university, <laughs> uh, taking it back. It was a cold day, taking it back to the halls of residence. And I remember just reading it that day. And I have such memories associated with reading mm. this book for the first time. And honestly, like out of all the adventures the League go on over the course of this, this series, this story in particular is like a warm blanket. You know, where it's just like, I can just wrap myself in this story and just in, just enjoy it. Just enjoy, like, every bit of it because it's just, it, it's just so satisfying from beginning to end. I, I, I love it. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's so good. It's a real high point, I think, for a series that is full of high points. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's... It's such a big story as well. You've got so many characters in there because you've got the extra JSA members, Captain Marvel, introducing JJ Thunder, letting people know who maybe didn't know what the Thunderbolt is. Because let's be honest, who'd thought about Johnny Thunder in recent years when this came out? <laughs> Almost no one I'm going to go with. And Triumph as well. There's so much in there, and yet it never feels overcrowded. Morrison even brings in the Quintessence for no reason at all, and it doesn't feel overcrowded. This, because with this having come out at the tail end of the 90s, hmm. and it's so weird, isn't it? Because, of course, uh, DC was like 10 years into a reboot that started with Crisis on Infinite earths yeah i just wonder was this the perfect time for that kind of golden age nostalgia callback kind of thing because they obviously that sliding time frame that both marvel and dc have kind of wrestled with over the years you know like um you know some of the original avengers stories from the 60s Characters talk about being Hawkeye and Black Panther talk about being children during Second World, the Second World War, and then yeah. of course you know you age them up. But was this a point where I don't know, like you could reference the past in this way? You could reference these Golden Age heroes, and it didn't. Was it just for right distance? Is what I'm wondering. I don't think it's that so much as who was doing it. I feel like it's, you know, we're, we're past the point where most of the writers working in comics would have actually read those Golden Age characters when they were coming out. It would have all been reprints and stuff. I think we're, we're talking about writers who maybe would have come in as readers towards the end of the Silver Age, perhaps. But that's when you get, like, your... your jla jsa annual crossover where they cross worlds and meet up you know that famous jla mm. cover where you've got the crystal ball and the jsa are coming out of it wreathed in smoke that sort of era and that was probably these writers introductions to the golden age characters and then of course at this point 
things are being reprinted a lot more so you can go back and and read them and yeah some of the writers morrison the usual three that we mentioned morrison wade busick <laughs> obviously fell in love with these characters and went yeah i could do some stuff with that and and because they are such all three of those those guys um are all such good writers who are able to weave this continuity into good stories the way they did yeah i i feel like it's very much a who's telling the story not when it's being told do you do you think also there was like and i don't know if it was an editorial if it was a top-down thing or whether it was kind of driven by these creators but like maybe I've, maybe i'm just thinking about this completely wrong but it does feel like i remember like when i would pick up comics as a as a kid that would you know say reference things that were well before my time or it even just happened like say a couple of years before this particular issue i'd picked up it was like i don't know it felt like you could reference stuff happening Without no, you know, and no one's, no one's expecting the reader to have an encyclopedic knowledge mm. of the JSA or Johnny Thunderbolt or the Quintessence or all these kind of weird concepts, particularly when you consider that there's been a major reboot 10 years prior. Yeah. And, and who knows what's currently in continuity or not. But like, it was kind of okay. I feel like, and I'm not trying to be too much of an old man about this, but I do feel like attitudes from the big two towards their past have changed quite a bit since then. I agree. And, yeah. And it's very hard to pin down. I don't know what's different, but like, it feels like nowadays you couldn't just do, you couldn't just do a story like this. I feel you have to have like a big primer. Well, certainly in DC's case, a couple, two, three years ago, I think I, I haven't, I, I'm not keeping up with, with, what Marvel or DC are really doing in comics at the moment. But certainly two or three years ago, they brought the JSA back in, in Justice League of America, and it had very much gone back to they were on a different Earth. They hadn't existed on the same Earth as the JLA. The JSA was it was Earth 2. And it was the first time the Justice League heroes had had met the Justice Society heroes and thought, and oh, there's people who fought World War II with powers on a different Earth. And I was just a bit... No, I prefer it if it has that legacy, that history, and that weight to it. And that, yeah, the attitude I think these days is is let's let's forget the past a bit more, or at least if we are going to refer to the past, in Marvel's case, let's refer to the nineties and do onslaught and clones. And <laughs> mm. well, it's weird, isn't it? Because because yeah, well, here's a classic thing. Here's a really good example in this issue, and you pointed out as a good thing when Captain Marvel arrives on the moon, Superman just goes. Good to see you, Bill. I'm glad you're here. Mm. Now, I've never read, certainly at this point, I'd never read a Captain Marvel comic. No. I didn't know much about Captain Marvel, but like the very fact that Superman, this character can turn up, and Superman can greet him by first name, I really think that's all you need to do. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like you don't need a big fact sheet saying, this is Captain Marvel. You don't need to spell it out or you i don't know you don't need to go the other way and just be completely mysterious about it it's just enough to know that this world is slightly bigger than you as a reader uh and it's not scary that shouldn't be a barrier to enjoying it you can just go like oh clearly these people know each other 
like that that's enough for me i could just yeah. go like oh clearly they've they've got a bit of a history maybe one day i will see those stories and i i feel like certainly back then stories like this would make me go oh i'm gonna go and try and find some of those old stories i'll see if i can get a collection that has some of them in or find some of the old issues or something like that and like prime example Busick's avengers Busick followed up on a story with black widow and madame mask and this robot thing called benedict from like avengers issues 397 to 399 or something just before onslaught that i hadn't read at the time and Busick did such a good story with them i thought oh i'm gonna go and read those those avengers comics see what he's what he's working on here i went and got them and they were terrible but music <laughs> had done something great with it, and I was quite glad I'd read them and got the backstory to it. And it, you know, but there are they, it can lead you to go back and and try comics you maybe weren't aware of before. And mm. I think that's one of the great things about this era. Whereas obviously these days they're they're just trying to always be the new thing. I agree. I agree. And again, this is where you you know you really don't want to be the person just kind of going. Well, back in my day, things things were different. But like clearly, with every passing decade. Marvel and DC have a growing dilemma, mm. which is what do you do about your history? Because on the one hand, you want to be proud of that because that's what makes you stand out from just um, whichever new comic publisher has popped up this week. But on the other hand, it's seen as kind of, they see it as kind of alienating to new readers. But then you get these bizarre scenarios where even, God, oh God, I guess it's 15 years or so now, where like you know they reboot Thor, mm. soft soft renumber. We go back to like Thor issue one. Gets a big reboot that inspires the movies. But then after like twenty three issues or whatever, they go, well, hang on a minute. If we stuck with the original numbering, this would actually it wouldn't be Thor volume five issue twenty three. It would be Thor five hundred. Yeah. So let's suddenly just revert the numbering so we can have a big celebration. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of the things that's that's slightly put me off Marvel and DC recently. Is is that I don't, you know, they. I'm trying to phrase this in the right way because obviously there are certain subsections of fandom who are like, oh, they're not doing exactly what they did in the old days, and I hate that, and they should mm. be, and that's that's not what I'm saying. Obviously, the comics are still selling. They're, they're making stuff people are enjoying. That is great. Carry on doing that. But for me personally, it's just moved... I guess it's just moved out of my era. You know? It's yeah. not quite the characters I remember them being. And yeah, they're doing some clever stuff and, and potentially some interesting stuff with some great writers, some great artists working on them. I do not want to knock any of that. And some really progressive stuff here and there as well that I thoroughly applaud. But I don't know. I'm just not so interested in reading those characters anymore and that's probably me more than the comics just just the point i'm at in my life where that's that's where i am i take more comfort in in the comics of my youth but that doesn't mean i want them to be making those comics exactly the same you know there's a whole weird thing there but yeah i just think it's different now and i think every era is different and you know this is the best one the 90s jla yeah. <laughs> well it's funny isn't it because you as a frankly as a as a as human civilization goes the pop culture revolution is less than 100 years old yeah i mean like you could roll that back a bit earlier to like the pulp heroes of the 30s but 
you could say that like Western American superhero comics are less than a hundred years old. Maybe they're pushing ninety. At yeah, most. I think at the at your most generous, you go sort of the Phantom, the Shadow, those characters. But even there, you're looking at early nineteen thirties. But I guess my point is, it's like we we've only ever done this once. We only, we we're still on our first go around the merry go round. Mm. So you get to you know the thirties. What the hell? It's never been done before. Pulp heroes. No one's expecting this to last. The sixties. Wow, drugs and counterculture are great. <laughs> let's silver age. Let's start doing weird stuff. And and maybe we'll start giving these characters human personalities, and it goes really well. And it's like you know, you get to the eighties, and DC's the first company to feel the bloat of being like the continuity. Continuity is starting to get in its way. Mm. We'll reboot it. You get to the nineties, where frankly, you get a lot of hot garbage, mm-hmm. but you get this really interesting stuff where you've got you know Wade, Busick, Morrison doing weird referential things but but shining a new light on it and i guess my weird thesis is that like we're now at a point where the people making comics now in the mainstream are kind of the people who are like maybe our yay our age and younger who grew up reading the comics of people who grew up reading comics yeah it's like doubly referential now. And I wonder how that affects it as a wider culture. And this is, a, you know, this is very much like a Western superhero problem. But did you feel like everything's gotten, we've gone like past the meta-ness now? Yeah. And everything always has to go back in the box, doesn't it? Like, look at J. Michael Straczynski's run on Amazing Spider-Man. He was on that book for years and he was, I think it was late 90s to mid 2000s, he was on there. And he completely rewrote the rules. He didn't dismiss what had come before. He just added to it, did some new, different creative stuff on it. Some of it worked better than other bits of it, but he did put his own spin on Spider Man. And then he left the book, and Marvel had Spider Man make a deal with the devil and just erased all of it. And that's what it is these days. You can't change anything. Everything has to stay the same or go back to an even earlier version, bringing back Barry Allen and Hal Jordan. And yeah, and I think that's it. It doesn't It doesn't move forward so much anymore. Or if it does, it will only be temporary. This feels like the first era in which the companies have actually finally recognised their characters as brands. Mm-hmm. Maybe more so than actually stories, and I'm not saying that there isn't some amazing creativity going on, but at the end of the day, they're trying to market and sell these characters and ensure that they'll still be sellable in five years' time. Yeah, in ten years' time, and part of that means I think divorcing yourself from the storytelling of the 90s and maybe the early 2000s because it's like if someone loves the movies and then they go and pick up i don't know a copy of thor they're like well why does thor have a robot arm (laughs) and and you know why doesn't he have me on it you know they're like they're not going to get the new people in if the stories flex too much 
Yeah. They've they've got to maintain that kind of status quo, perhaps now more so than ever. Mm. Yeah. Comics are weird. They are very weird. It's, there's no other medium. <laughs> no other medium that faces these problems. No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Maybe, maybe I don't know what the answer is. Is it soft continuity? Is it just like Captain America turns up in a Spider-Man comic and they go, oh, hey, haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, maybe. Or that- maybe, maybe you do set yourself... You have to do a hard reboot every 20 years or something. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. But, you know, it takes someone a lot cleverer than me to figure it out. Yeah, I guess that's why we're not running Marvel and DC right now. No, that's that's why we do a podcast about 20-odd-year-old <laughs> comics. <laughs> we will have our moment, PJ. Our moment in the sun will come. In 20 years ago. I'm telling you. When we time travel back to 1999. Maybe, maybe deep down, we're both Mark Miller. Oh, God, no. Come on. Maybe we've yet to go back in time and do and 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 create. This is the Faustian bargain, PJ. I don't want to make a Faustian bargain. Did nobody read Faust? It didn't end well. <laughs> maybe, um, yeah, maybe one day we'll we 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 will. We will, we will do like maybe it's the thousandth episode or something. We'll, <laughs> the portal will finally open, and we well, can go back and say what. When we go back and change history, we'll flip a coin, and one of us will get Marvel, one can get DC, and we'll just remake the Amalgam Age. Oh, I like that plan. Yeah, let's do that one. That could be fine. We'll do that. <laughs> uh, PJ, it got oddly kind of philosophical towards the end there, but have we said everything we need to say about this issue? Yes. It's, it's been a delight. Um, <laughs> I guess we should say a massive thank you to uh, Gav Mitchell uh, for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our, our stupendous theme tune, Justice. And if I may do a, a moment shameless self-promotion pj you do it thank you pj i um i am uh cultivating a newsletter uh to uh keep people up to date on the 10 year uh anniversary of after i think which I, i'm currently uh trying to put together to uh massive hardbacks collecting the entire six volume run so far and uh work is going well and if you'd like to be kept up to date on those plans uh, i'll put a link in the description I think everyone should be kept up to date on those plans. Thank you, Peter. Well, again, you you are the greatest of men. Uh, you know, you, you saint saintly, I would say. Uh, uh, is there anything you'd like to shout about, Peter? Well, since we've already discussed Star Trek in, in this episode, I feel like I should say if you enjoyed hearing me discuss Star Trek, you can do it every single week by listening to my other podcast, The Measure of a Fan, in which I discuss Star Trek with two other nerds and we have a lot of fun doing it wherever you get your podcasts. How much uh, techno babble is there, PJ? We don't use much techno babble. Um, w- to be honest, we we talk a lot of crap. But <laughs> <laughs> I find that hard to believe. I'm sure it's very insightful. Our most recent episode included a long tangent where we discussed Rod Hull and Emu. So, you know, Star Trek does weird things to your brain. I really don't know how to follow that up. I mean, like we've we've had it we've had it all today. We've had Will of the Wisp. We've had Emu. Uh, <laughs> All, all the British cultural icons of the 80s and 90s yeah, uh, well, kind of 
Coming That's my you. life. <laughs> uh, but, but PJ, if we if we really have exhausted this avenue of pleasure, uh, it might be about time again. Uh, could you see us off in your own unique fashion? Holy moly! <laughs> <laughs>